if you do what everybody else is doing when you're in a market where there's double digit offers on every listing, you're not doing anything. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui. Hey, today I get to interview Dewey Golub. So Dewey is, his company is called Found Properties Group. He's been a, an agent for a long time. A lot of interesting stuff we're going to talk about today. Totally changed his business during 2020 due to all the things that happened, you know, with COVID and everything else. You know, he's out in Charleston, South Carolina. You guys might recognize that's where our famous, you know, previous host, Pat Hyben, lives. Dewey even gets to see him out there sometimes. He's been listening to the show for a long, long time. And uh, I can't wait to get to talk to you today. Dewey, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, buddy. Been waiting for this, you know, listened for years and now honored to be on here myself. Awesome. Well, anytime you see Pat, you can tell him he was your favorite host, but the uh, but don't brag about him too much on here. We don't want it to get to his head when we get to see him. So so what, how long have you been doing real estate? Yeah, so started real estate 2004, right at the uh, right at the first boom, and I've been in it full time ever since. Only job, only thing printed on my business card, which of course I don't have or carry anymore. That's awesome. So you started in real estate 2004. Heck of a time to get started. Were you living out in Charleston then? I was. I'd returned back to Charleston. I came here for college. Got a degree in marine biology. Put that to great use by working on private mega yachts in the Mediterranean. And when I got sick of living in a bunk bed and color coordinating my clothes to the day of the week, I moved back to Charleston to get into real estate. I was 27 and I'm 44. So this is all I do and this is my craft. The mega yacht. So did it make you want to have a mega yacht someday or were you like, man, that's a lot of work. I'm not going to do that ever again. Fascinating story. My real answer to that is I used it as a social experiment. All the crews hang together in every port. And I had a standard question, who's the owner? What do they do? And are they special? Like, did they come out of the womb totally different than you and I? And honest to God, the only time that somebody said yes, uh, that guy actually was smart enough not to own a boat. He used his friend's boat. That guy's name is Bill Gates. And they're like, he's totally different. When you're, ha- when you're around Bill Gates serving him, you're like, you can tell he's trying to dumb it down to talk to you. But every other time I ask that question of these billionaires, they're like, they're just another person that worked hard or got lucky or in a thing. They're like, they are just another person. And then I thought, well, I better stop cleaning their toy and I better go make some money so that I can have a big toy too. Yeah. If they're just, that is totally the American dream and also totally real. Every super wealthy person I've ever met, every amazing famous person I've ever met, is just another person that's just as excited to talk to you and hear about you. And it is, uh, you know, normal people do extraordinary things. And uh, and getting to learn that at such a young age had to have, have really helped you. Last week, we were in Cabo San Lucas, and there was uh, there was mega yachts there. And people come, there's like helicopters on the back of them and boats hanging on the front. And I, and I, I found myself thinking, I wonder who owns that one? That was the first thing my daughter was asking. 
who owns that? I'm like, I don't know, but whoever owns one, they, they're, they're doing something pretty cool. Yeah, they are. They're fantastic toys. I'll tell you, it, it, and then we can move off of this. It teaches you a great sense of independence when you're, you know, back in my day, I was on a large boat. I was on the Budweiser flagship and it was 200 feet. Uh, it was actually 173 feet. And we did two transatlantics. And when there was only one other person with my job and then a first mate. So there's essentially three people that run the entire boat and then the engineer. Captain's not working that much. Everybody else works inside. And so you got three people in the middle of the Atlantic on this huge machine full of other machines and anything that breaks, you got to fix it. You got to figure it out. Sometimes you got to do it in a hurry. Though the guy I worked with used to have a great saying. He said, take your time because we're in a hurry. I.e., if you rush and you screw this up, we could be really jammed up. So like, don't rush because if you screw this up, we're screwed. I love that. Take your time. We're in a hurry. The I will. I need to start using that because that uh, that is actually such a powerful thought right there. So I was living in California in 2004, right? And so to, when I think of like getting into real estate, that was when I I just you know fresh out of college, working for working for a home builder. Life was good, and so my experience out there was houses were booming in a seller's market, similar to the way they are right now. New home builders were building a lot of the stuff. And so people would kind of buy a house. Builders would build 100 houses. They would, re would release like 10 at a time. And if the people that bought them at the very beginning, like in the first 10, they'd pay 400000 for a house. By the time the builder got to the, you know, the last house, they'd be selling them for 500000 So people were so eager to buy these first houses because they knew like next month prices were going to go up. Every month the builder was raising the price, this set price in so 2004, 2005, 2006, booming, booming, booming. 2007, it's starting to slow down and we're, we're going, hey, it's starting to feel a little bit different, but it really kind of started crashing around 2009. Everything changed. What was it like in South Carolina during like, so your first year, real, let's start with your first year of real estate out there and then kind of tell me about your next five to 10 after that. All right. I'll try to, I'll try to keep this one short. I can tangent. So my first week of real estate, I got a lead on a Monday. We were under contract on a Friday. And four weeks later, I made more than I would generally make. I made 25% of my year's paycheck. Um, wow. And I thought, hey, I made a great decision. Yeah, I'm hooked. <laughs> You're totally hooked. The, fir the first, time, first time anyone holds a commission check, whether it's on week one or six months later, I think they're totally hooked. Yeah. And uh and then, you know, fast forward, uh, 04 to 08, the run-up, uh, uh, the company I was at, we were like half site sales and half general brokerage. So I was half a hunter killer and half a site sale guy. And the site sales that we were doing were condo conversions, legally converting apartment complexes to condos. And so we had a couple where... Uh, we'd have 250 units, we'd get the line out the door, you'd get a lottery ticket, you'd come in, you'd pick off the map of what was left, we'd sell them all in a day, we'd have 60 days to close them, and then we'd go do it again. And there'd be a 60-day ramp up where we'd site sell or site sit and have people in and tour them around. So that was good for volume. And then there was a crash, just like everybody else. And so I went from unit count volume to sales price volume, and I moved to Sotheby's to sell luxury. And that was good. Uh, also started doing boutique commercial because our commercial environment on the peninsula of Charleston, which is two or 300 years old, depending on the building, is a lot like residential, a lot less like big box commercial. So I did luxury and commercial. 
And then I was fortunate enough where some friends of mine uh, were related to the owner of Boomtown, which started in Charleston, South Carolina. And they asked mm -hmm. me to come and see this new technology that was going to change residential real estate. And I thought, oh my God, this new technology is going to change residential real estate. And so that was the first IDX fed CRM and that's Boomtown. And we were, in Bo we were essentially Boomtown's beta. And I did that for years. And then I realized, wow, we're the only people not at Keller Williams growing a sales team utilizing Boomtown. So that's when I took Adam Roach's call and went to lunch. And, you know, Adam Roach, the man and the lunch that changed my life. Yeah. Um, and so then I went to Keller Williams and have been growing an MREA, Gary Keller, KW sales team ever since. All right. So a lot to unpack there for listeners that listen to our show a lot. So we've had Adam Roach on the call as a guest. You know, last year, he also probably did five to 10 kind of guest interviews as a guest host uh, on the show. He's actually the guy that came on and interviewed my brother when my brother was a guest on the show. So uh, so I know Adam. Adam's also in GoBundance. You guys have heard us talk about that a little bit. Dewey uh, recently joined GoBundance and we're going to get a chance to meet in person in probably just a month's time up in uh, up in Tahoe. They just opened up California. They just opened up Tahoe. And so now things are going to be uh, they say things are beginning back to normal, but I know they'll never be normal, but it's whatever our new normal is. So you, you within a week, you got your first deal. How, what, what type of deal was that? What, what type of lead was that? What type of purchase and sale was that? Yeah, I took floor duty. The phone rang. I picked it up. It was somebody that wanted to buy a house for their post-college age child. So it was like somebody's parents buying a house for a 20-something and here I was at 20 something. And, and we went out and started looking at houses. They were geographically and price point specific. I was very upfront. I said, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to work my tail off for you. And I'm in an office with local people that do know what they're doing and they won't let it go wrong. And they were great people. We had a great time. We did a great transaction. And so it was just it was just a single family residence like that. That's freaking awesome. I love the honesty. The uh, anytime I'm training people on my team to do anything new, right? This week we're calling people saying like, "Hey, do you want us to do? You know, do you want to sell us your property? Like, hey, we just bought the one next door. Uh, we would like to buy yours. Do you have any?" And they're like, well, "What do I say when they say this?" I'm like, "You could tell them this is the first time you've ever made this call." Like, it's true. Like, you've never had this conversation before. Like, just be honest. Like, it's going to be uh, the better connection that you have. So floor duty is, you know, people don't do this as much anymore because people don't just randomly cold call a business as often anymore. But 20 years ago, 15 years ago, they did. It was like, hey, we want to buy a house. Where's their real estate company? They're going to call the number for the real estate company. You answered. And they said, we're looking for this. You're like, okay, that's perfect. I So, so awesome. So you get your first one. But then you said your next type of sales you did for a while was on-site sales, condo conversions. And I think that's a lot like the new home builder stuff where you're, you're kind of staying on site and there's an open house saying stuff for sale. People come walk through either a condo or a model home and you're going, okay, you can buy this one over here. Is that what site sales are when you were doing that? That's what site sales was here. And the upside to this, um, A, there was deal flow, right? So you could sell something and get paid. Though it was pretty small. That paycheck got cut up so many different ways. But it's nice as a young, a young fresh start to have some sort of income. And the other thing was I didn't work for one 
developer, right? Like it's not like I worked for a national home builder. We were a marketing arm. And so the marketing would drive people in, the opportunity would drive people in. They'd look around, they'd say, this opportunity is not for me. I'm not buying this. Say, great. Well, tomorrow I'm not here. So I'd love to go show you houses. So it was also a great lead generation tool for somebody that, you know, didn't have a great big SOI sphere of influence because I was younger and I didn't know anybody that owned a house. And so I could build rapport and, you know, build trust and then add value and pick up a client. It's a lot like, you know, if people are new doing open houses in order to get leads, it's kind of a lot like doing open houses, except for every once in a while, or maybe more often than not, you would get to sell the house that you're doing the open house at because, but condo sales or home builder sales as the listing agent are commonly a much smaller commission. You know, it, it's like, they're, they're like, Hey, we're doing all the work. The uh, we've done, we've done this thing. You're just standing here and buyers are going to come in. And so they do a much smaller commission. It sounds like that's what it was like. But the cool thing was you were able to take that and get that lead to go sell them something else. That was one of the first pivots that home builders did during the crash. Like during 2008, 2009, I remember our home building team, it became okay to actually sell the people something else. In 2005, the real estate agents that worked at our offices, they weren't allowed to sell anybody anything else. It was like, no, you sell that house and you get commissioned for that. And then a couple of years later, when it started to get tough, it was like, no, if, if you get a lead, you can go, we can be a real estate office now. We can, we can actually have a brokerage now instead of that, like, like, like some of the original pivots. And now this year, we've seen all sorts of pivots like that. Real Estate Rockstars, this is a commercial break from our biggest podcast sponsor we have right now, Rent Ready. It can be fun getting a new real estate deal, but it can be tough managing your properties after the fact, especially if you're long distance investing or trying to manage multiple properties by yourself. That's why we're here to tell you about Rent Ready. Rent Ready is a property management software that not only makes it easier to manage all your real estate deals from one platform, but they also have the best customer service support in the biz. They're an all-in-one app that lets you easily manage properties, collect rent, list units, screen tenants, sign leases, all from your phone or computer. Imagine all of your real estate doors right in your pocket. How awesome is that? The best part is it's so affordable, one flat price for everything. Unlimited properties, tenants, and support with a real live human. And I have to add in there, that's a new business model that not a lot of people are doing. There's like this freemium model where people say, hey, you can try this, but as soon as you grow, it's gonna cost you a lot of money or they kind of punish you when you get too many emails on your list or too many coming. They aren't gonna punish you when you grow. They're not gonna charge you more when you get 10, 20, 30 rentals. They're gonna charge you the same when you have two or three as they will when you have 50 or 60. So you have a nice fixed cost, all software, all in one place. Check it out, Rent Ready, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com. And if that's not enough, Rent Ready is giving our listeners a special code you can use to get a whole year of Rent Ready for just $54. Use code R-O-C-K-S-T-A-R-50. That's Rockstar50. And sign up for Rent Ready's annual plan at rentready.com. Again, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com with code Rockstar50 to get Rent Ready for only $54. So... You got to do a lot of different experiences. You, you kept, you started growing a team. You went to the KW model uh, with that. You met some of our good friends out there. And uh, you, like you said, the lunches that changed your life. Let's fast forward to like how big you got. So what was your company doing in 2019? Right. And, uh, and what's the average sales price out there? What were you guys doing in 2019? And then tell me about 2020. 
Yeah, so I like to call this my COVID journey. Hopefully not everybody has one. <laughs> yeah, so I've got an incredible right hand. Her name is Angie Murto. She essentially runs the team, right? I'm the vision, she's the integrator, and she is unreal. And so we've been together six years. She has a background working a large sales department for Lennar during the upswing, and then an IT company that was continuously voted top five places to work in the state. So she's just super dialed in on our industry and on great culture. And uh, so I had a coffee with her six years ago, and she believed in the vision, even though it didn't exist. It was all in my head. And so we spent six years building what we thought was best practices, the perfect KW sales team. And it was one of these really complicated, really integrated sales teams. Some of the highlights of ours, we had a really high admin to agent count. We had a higher, uh, more of a finished brand and a higher price point. Our average price point at the time was probably 250 in the Charleston market and our team was 375, so 50% higher is a big deal when it comes to running numbers. We had eight salespeople and five admin. In 2019, we closed 51 million in volume. The way that we set our goals and run our numbers is different. We do business planning clinic with each individual in the fall for the following year. And then whatever comes out of that meeting is our annual goal. Right? We don't set some arbitrary number and then try to get everybody to meet it. So we came out of that meeting and we, had, we were closing out the year at 51 million. And all of a sudden, we were at 83 for the next year. And I thought, from a business perspective, that doesn't sound realistic. That doesn't sound like a good idea. It, sounds, it, it, it doesn't sound like it's based in fact. And we went back, we dug through all the numbers. This is what everybody wanted to do. This is what they've done. This is what was in their pipeline. We do pipeline review every week. It's got to be 80% or higher to make it on there. And all of this stuff already existed going into 2020. It was like, all right, I guess we're doing 83 million. Like, buckle up. This is going to be a wild ride. And we got a few months into 2020 and all of a sudden, you know, we use a CSU dashboard, everything's tracked. It integrates with our CRM. Like there's no BS about what we're doing. We just live by the numbers because I'm not going to put my family's future income on the line because somebody told me they're going to sell a lot of stuff. Like show me, right? And we examine this stuff every day, deeply every week and incredibly every month and quarter. And it was like, holy, holy you know what, like we're going to do 102 million this year. And that's what it's projecting at the end of the first quarter. Like what is, this is bananas. And then there was COVID. <laughs> so first, so first, first quarter of 2020, you guys, like we've done 25 million. We're on pace to do 102. Yeah, it was crazy. And COVID happened. And like I said, we had this really, really complicated built out team structure model big office culture, three offices, everybody in the office every day, lots of trainings, everybody had a specialty. We're doing all these things. We have coaching clients. We're, we're, we're just, we're humming on every cylinder to the point where if there's a disruption and like something stops firing, all of a sudden everything else started to fire off, right? And it's like, we might've built something that's too complicated. We might be overthinking this. And so Angie and I both have young children and we both became school teachers. 
at the beginning of COVID, right? We're working from home. We've got kids in the house. We're doing education. And I have been preaching and listening and waiting for the next recession. And I've been ready for it, right? Not like a doomsday or just like a, hey, everybody, this is good in the good times, but we're going to really, really take up ground in the bad times because we're professionals and we see what's coming. And, and so for me, I just did what I thought was right as a business person. I said, all right, recession's here. Let's get it on right? Mm -hmm. And not everybody on the team had my sense of urgency because most of the people on the team were younger and they hadn't been through a recession and they didn't have children. And then in their personal life, they weren't stressed because they weren't now school teachers. And all of a sudden we had a culture problem and we had two different cultures going on on the team. Those that were running scared and urgent. And I was, I was in the scared pack. And I am, I come from abundance. I don't come from fear, but I'm also smart and I have children. And it was like, all right, like this has got to be bad news. Yeah. Like, let, let's buckle down, double down, you know, cut the PL, work harder, work faster, work smarter. And that just didn't work for two thirds of the team. And I said, that's who I am. That's what I'm doing. I'm going to grind it hardcore. And if you are with me, you're with me. And if you're not, you know, then take all of your clients and we will support you and you can close them and we will share in those revenues. But like, this is our culture. Now we are, we went from like go lucky and busy to super hardcore. And if you're not super hardcore, then there's no room for you here anymore. It, it became uncomfortable. And so we just had a, a splitting of the ways where we couldn't be the ones to keep everybody engaged. If they weren't self-starters, if they weren't self-motivated, if they weren't into protecting their future, then we weren't of the same culture any longer. Uh, and so everybody's, you know, we did great. Everybody's doing okay. I wish that they were all doing great. We would be doing tremendous together, but I just, you couldn't be half in and half out in the first 120 days of COVID with me. It was, it was all or nothing. Yeah. I think the, uh, we've talked a lot about the, so many people have been, had a different boat they were riding in, in 2020. It has affected so many people so differently. And just your point of people with having, with young kids compared to people that didn't, you know, stay at home is probably a much different experience for that. You know, teenage kids, you know, when they, the only way they were seeing people was at school and now they weren't, you know, is much different. So, uh, you know, people had all sorts of different experiences, people that were already working from home or had home offices or, you know, it's, or one one parent didn't work already when, when both parents were now supposed to work and kids were at home. So everybody had a dramatically different thing. And I could, I could definitely picture how at the beginning, if you're like, Hey, this is some serious stuff and we're going to make some big adjustments. If some of the people are like, Hey, it's, what's the big deal. It's not that serious. And I could say that would be tough. That'd be tough to go like, no, I need, I need to follow this plan. I need to believe in this plan. I need to commit to this plan. So you had a big culture problem. So and by the end of 2020, what did what, what do you remember what volume you hit for 2020? Uh, yeah. So 2019 was 51 million and then we projected 83 and then 102 and then we closed at 53 million, but we literally, we dropped down to like two full-time sales agents out of seven and then I ramped up my selling and then Angie, um, everybody on the team, all the admin generally on my team have licenses. So then Angie started selling and we still closed 53 million. Honestly, 
but we did all the other correct things, right? Like we attacked the P&L. We were working smarter, not harder. The profit margin went way up, like by 6%. You know, we went from like low 20s to high 20s. Uh, I think we went from 23 to 29%. And the actual dollar profit was more than I've ever made in 17 years. So though we only sold 2 million more than the year before, we sold 53 instead of 51. We made 6% more profit and that equated to, you know, almost six figures more in profit. And, you know, by the time things settled down, we realized the sky wasn't going to fall and we became a virtual culture instead of an office culture. And the only people that were left were self-motivated, not motivated because they were, you know, under our guidance. It, it was like, you know, and they had to be in the, in the office all the time being motivated by Angie and I. We're probably working, I mean, we're working the same hours, but it doesn't feel like it. You know, you're at home. Yeah seeing your kids, you're walking your dog, everything's on Zoom, you get your earbuds in, like life is good, so relaxing, it's stress-free, not wondering if the people that you're in business with are doing what you're doing. You know, it's, it's really been so wonderful. I got so many blessings out of COVID and, you know, changing the culture of the team is just one of them, but, you know, that's the one that we're talking about now, but it's, it's awesome, honestly, I love it. And the people that are on the team that were on the team before COVID, they love it because the culture has become more distilled. Everybody that's left are more similar to each other than the diversity in culture that existed beforehand. Every, I mean, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like going to war together. I mean, we're all battle tested and we had the same mentality and, and the people that had a different mentality, they, they kind of, they did their thing. We did our thing. And now we're, we're tighter and closer together. And we've attracted, you know, somehow our, our frequency just changed. We've hired up, we've got four new agents on the team and they are all so much more the culture that we thought we had. And everybody is just totally having a good time, which is fun. <laughs> it's, it's interesting how crisis really takes down some of the, you know, some of the, some of the, the coverage, right? Like of realizing what's really going on. So when, th when times are good, it's really easy to keep doing with stuff. You know, I love your on it. We've had a lot of agents that have come on and, and, you know, and just said, hey, with COVID, we've just sold so many houses. It's, it's so great. Now we're getting all the listings. No one's even negotiating against us. It's been a lot. And, and you got to say, you know, COVID uh, wasn't super easy. You had to make some big changes. But some of the big things that you did is you made sure that everybody was on the same page. And then you worked smarter, not harder. And you, and you also cut costs. You were like, hey, can we do this? And can we still actually cut costs and tighten things up and change things around a little bit to kind of having a second chance to rebuild culture is pretty awesome. Especially, you know, like you said, you're, you're older now and you've, had your, you've been in the business for a while. So getting a second chance to almost like start your company again and say like, you know, what am I going to do? Do you think you will ever go back to an office culture now that everybody is living the uh, virtual culture? You know, it's interesting for me to answer. I'd answer that question two ways. Me personally, nowhere near as much. The people on the team, a lot of them are high eyes, right? They really want to be around each other. And so we still, we've got a really nice office. We pay for the thing, you know, it's super comfortable. And some people want to be in it and some people don't. And it's like, you do you. I mean, we have our CSU tracker. We got our metrics. We got our KPIs. I well, think my we, you you live so in bad. downtown Charleston. We're going to hear people walking by out front talking pretty soon, too. We've had plenty of dogs make it on the podcast, so don't worry. Yeah. So, so yeah, so we're in and out on office culture. We want to support our market center, so we'd like to be there. 
there's a need for some admin to be there. So they're there. They want some company. And those agents that also want company, they're all hanging out together. And then some of us, like Angie had an hour and a half commute, 45 minutes each way, which for Charleston's a long time. And she's like, this is great. You know, like I'm going to, now that I'm not a babysitter, <laughs> yeah. I'll be home two thirds of the time and I'll go to the office to see people a third of the time. That's, it is very cool. The, uh, so many pros and cons. And if you can, you know, focus on the pros and you can make adjustments to minimize the cons and kind of restructure, you know, the, the new business, the, you could really have, you know, some great success. So I, I love getting to hear your story of how you got here and what happened. I've got kind of some rapid fire questions. So the, so when you were a new agent, what do you wish you would like, what, could, what would you go back and tell yourself now about real estate? Or what do you wish you would have known about real estate when you, you know, within a week, you all of a sudden got a big paycheck. But was there something else you wish you would have known when you first got started that you know now? Yeah, coaching. So we always have coaches. You know, we're, nobody in my mind is beyond a coach. You know, you look at Tony Robbins or John Maxwell. It's like, how are you ever going to beyond having somebody like that in your corner? It took me a decade to get into coaching. I didn't, you know, I just wasn't exposed to it. It's not that I said yep. no. But I met Adam Roach and I got into personal development and I got into coaching and I got into all of these things. And that's really it, right? You know, could it be a mentor? Could it be the environment? Yes, right? Does it boil down to something as simple as find somebody that is two steps ahead of you on the path that you want to be on, add value to their life, and that might just be paying them, and then get in with them, right? And we've generally not stuck with a coach for more than a couple years. But I've been in coaching ever since I came to KW and met Adam and generally will carry two coaches and they're expensive and they're totally worth it. And so it would be that if, if I boiled it down to one thing, it would be coaching. I love that answer. I, I wish I would have known about coaching. I didn't join any sort of coaching or mastermind groups or anything until you know 2015. I'd been in the business for a while and it would have helped me so much if I would have done it sooner. So the, let's see, what is the, right now it is a seller's market. You know, yeah, I know some of your people represent buyers out there. What would you tell them? What's the number one way, or, I mean, you represent sellers, you represent buyers. What's your number one way to get your offer accepted when you're competing with 20 other offers on a property? Yeah. So we, we, we role play around this all the time. And so we've got a toolbox full of items one is very straightforward. It's the escalation clause. If you have it in your market, do you know what it is or should we talk? So about they will it? tell, tell all the listeners what the escalation clause clauses. Escalation clause, an addendum that's going to go with your offer that says, this is the maximum that we're willing to pay. So let's say you put in an offer at 400,000. The ask is 400,000. You put in an offer at 400,000. You're the first one in. And then they say, all right, we're getting more offers. And you put together an escalation addendum instead of just saying, oh my gosh, maybe we'll go to 410 and see what happens, right? So you say, all right, well, here's an addendum that says we'll go to 425. We'll go up in $5,000 increments and you need to essentially prove to us that there was an offer that we beat. So if somebody else comes in at you know, 414, we'll pay 415. If somebody comes in at 408, we'll pay 410. Uh, if somebody comes in at 426, it's theirs. And so that's the correct way to, to use an escalation clause or cool. escalation addendum. All right. And that's your favorite thing right now. I like that. What about best technology for real estate right now? You have anything that you that you really love that really helps you get your job done? Yeah. Our SISU tracker. Now you got to be at scale to use something like that, but 
you know, you've got to be able to track it to examine it. And if you don't know your numbers, you're just shooting in the dark and hoping for the best by the end of the year. So our CSU tracker, because it also drills down on every single thing. So it's not just, you know, it, it would become a very long answer. So I'll just say our CSU tracker. All right. I like that one. What's the number one way people can succeed in 2021, that agents can succeed in 2021? Yeah, I, I think they're going to have to get creative, right? I hate these type of markets because they take away your professional advantage, right? Whoever gets there first with the biggest checkbook wins is not yeah. a professional, right? So you, you just got to find a different way to do what you're doing, whatever your specialty is. If, if you're looking for listings or if you've got a buyer, you should circle prospect for an off-market deal. Um, you know, the, the list is long, but the answer is, if you do what everybody else is doing when you're in a market where there's double digit offers on every listing, you're not doing anything. Yeah. I love that. Markets like this, your professional is your professional advantage is no longer. It's whoever gets there first. You know, we wrote, I, I told people this last week, we wrote a you know, cash offer on a property two hours after it comes out. And an hour later, we just get a response that says they accept another offer. And we're like, we did full price cash right when it came out. What you didn't even tell us to in, increase? Like, what did what did we miss? So the yeah, there is something. That it is it is different having to be creative, having to work harder. You know, what's the number one thing you learned in twenty twenty? Could be real estate, could be personal, anything. What's the number one thing you learned about yourself or about the world? Let go, just let it happen. Yeah. Let go and let it happen. You know, and any predictions now, this is the final question. What are your predictions for 2021 in, you know, in real estate? Do you think it, it could, market's going up, market's going down, you know, more houses getting built, less houses getting built, uh, more affordable housing, any, any real estate predictions? Unfortunately, my prediction is more of the same. So yeah. what you've experienced for the last three months, I think you got nine more months of it coming. You just can't change I mean, without a mortgage meltdown, which we're not going to see, you can't change a, a real estate market when, it, when its main driver is based around this inventory issue. And the inventory issue has become so deep, right? So it's unfortunately more of the same. I, I wish it was more balanced, but it's not. Yeah. And Dewey, it, it sure has been you know, fun getting to chat with you today and catch up with you. I can't wait till we get to hang out in Tahoe at the end of the month. You know, listeners out there, if any of you guys are wondering what GoBundance is, what masterminds are, things like that, you know, find me on Instagram, send me a message. I can send you some more info about it. Maybe you want to come hang out with Dewey and I in, uh, in Squaw Valley next week. The Dewey, people are going to want to reach out to you and ask you questions about your culture. They're going to ask you about coaches. They're going to ask you about that software. What's the best way for listeners to reach out and find you and get more info? Yeah, so email is the easiest. Dewey, D-E-W-E-Y, at foundpropertiesgroup.com. And that's found like we found your house, we found your buyer. And I'm always available. I, I do have some free time during the day. I, I love to pay it forward and help anybody out. So if you want to talk about anything that Aaron and I chatted about today, hit me up and I'll carve out a few minutes. I promise. Awesome. Dewey, thanks for coming on. Real Estate Rockstars, thank you for listening. All right, Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one. And I want to make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also we need your help. 
They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rate rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents. And we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every punny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients. And we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate. How to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff, rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. If you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our Real Estate Rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.